0: Dirty Moderates, my guest today needs no introduction. Um, we are pleased, we're thrilled actually to have uh, former Congressman Adam Kinzinger on the program. Adam, welcome. Congressman, welcome to um, the podcast. Adam's um, just fine
1: because it's such a, you know, it's such Adam is a powerful power. Yeah, name. okay,
0: great. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> we're the, we are the first men. Um, right. I'm excited to have you on for so many reasons. You know, one of the things. Um, that I was eager to get you on about, you know, all as we've been going back and forth through this crazy world, as all of us have, that we're living in is, you know, I created this podcast because I'm politically homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you and I uh, uh, are not exactly the same age, but I think same generation. I was raised as a Democrat in a democratic family. Um, and I became a disillusioned Democrat for different reasons, um, obviously, than, than you gave be- me. Became a disillusioned Republican, but we both really, really feel like we are unmoored a little bit, and we're concerned about democracy, and we care a lot about the same issues. And actually, uh, if the Republican Party had largely been Adam Kinsinger type of Republicans, I probably would have been more of a Republican anyway. You know, because so I think I share a lot of your conservative principles. Because I'm such a hybrid, um, which takes us to before we get any further, your amazing new book, folks. Um, There are a lot of political books out, um, and I'm a geek of them, but I want to really, really plug it, not that you need it, because it's a New York Times bestseller, (laughs) Renegade, Defending Democracy and Liberty in Our Divided Country, and so congrats on that. But to start off, I want to start with something in the book that really stood out to me. Um, It's on page 190, okay? And this is right on the night of the 2016 election. Uh, you're going to go to, I think it's Grundy County, uh, mm-hmm. to the GOP um, headquarters, was it, and to, yep. to watch the returns. You're obviously, as you put it, a pariah, sort of, because you don't want to get in back Trump, uh, which means you're normal. Um, <laughs> but anyway, this is, a, this is a very interesting exchange. Um, on page 190, and I'll just read it, you, you say, finally, I saw an elderly woman named Betty, who had always been a supporter my encounter with her went something like this. Hi, Betty, how are you, you say? If he loses, she said angrily, it's your fault. I had had enough, you say. Oh, you think it would be me and not the fact that he's a, ra- a racist idiot? Not funny, but it's funny. She snapped <laughs> back with something about how Trump is not a racist and neither is supporters. Or a supporter. Betty, you say, you're way smarter than this. This she likely felt as an insult, and I wouldn't blame her. Then out of the corner of my eye, I saw Betty's husband approach. Okay, guys, okay, this is over now. Having discovered I was persona non grata, you continue to write, I left to watch the returns at home. I thought I knew what was going to happen in the election and what would happen to me in the coming months. Trump would lose, the fever would be broken, America would begin to heal. Oh, how little I knew. Ooh. Great, great stuff. I love their name is Betty, too. <laughs> yeah. but, but let's. But this, I think, is good because I also just wanted to, your book tells so much about your your kind of political coming of age. But this right here, it's like – you were part of an organization, right? The party of Abe Lincoln, okay? You're from Bloomington, Illinois. You're from the land of Lincoln, right? Uh, Bloomington, uh, Indiana. Bloomington, Illinois has the McLean Museum of History, which weirdly I've heard of because Abe Lincoln was an attorney there, mm-hmm. right? So you're a state, you're rooted in it. And here you are in 2016, six years after you're elected, right? You're elected in 2010. And all of a sudden, it's like monsters do on Maple Street and Twilight Zone. I everybody even saw that episode. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and you're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. You know, and just if he loses, it's your fault. And I know you, you talk about the Tea Party and the sort of ragged edges and jagged kind of edge, ragged and jagged edges of the Republican Party that was changing the face of it. But now you're at this breaking point. So I wanted to start there because you realize that the fever isn't going to break. I mean, you got, you're running a very high fever you're in the hospital.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, look, and I'm glad you brought that up. You're actually the first one to, to notice that that was really for me, the defining moment. And, and I guess the reason it was so crystal clear of all the interactions, you know, in politics you have with people every day. Right. Why, yeah, the, yeah. why this one stick out. It's because she was an older lady, normal. Right. Yeah. In my mind. Like yeah. I thought, you know, I thought we were all going to show up at this. It was at the Elks club actually, which is a nice little small town place. And, but no, Grundy,
0: much. I'm sorry, Grundy is not Bloomington?
1: No, Grundy is actually Morris, Illinois. It's about an hour north. Okay, yep. Okay, yep. And so I, you know, I go into the party and I'm like, assuming again, somebody like Betty would would actually, I'm still assuming she'd probably be with me when it came to the way she thought of Donald Trump. Like maybe she voted for Trump. Fine. You know, a bunch of people held their nose and voted for him. And I thought she'd be like, yeah, you know, hopefully Trump wins, but if he doesn't, we can rebuild the party. And, and what I saw was just this flash of anger that caught me way off guard, which was like, if he loses, it's your fault. Cause I had been very outspoken against Trump. And I'm like, first off, it's ludicrous to think I'm going to be the guy that torches Trump. But secondly, it's just like, I, I just remember this. I, I was, I, I think the reason I reacted so angrily at her was I was, it just caught me so off guard. It was outside of Anything I expected. And so when I left that party, you know, my assumption, I think all of our assumptions still was that he was going to lose that night, you know, and then, you know, whatever people would be like, yeah, we should have had somebody better. And that was the beginning of really kind of a long, slow divorce for me, because I realized that I either have to be like Betty and just, you know, put everything aside and believe that this guy is the greatest thing ever. Or I've got to hold true to what I believe. But that was such a that was such a clear and concise moment to me of when I realized, like, okay, this party, because it's again, it's not the crazy table at the Lincoln Day dinner. This was Betty, like the scion of, you know, Republican politics in a what to that point was a fairly moderate county. It was gone now. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, and I started with it because I think you can draw a straight line from that to Trump. You know, yeah. I mean, I your book does something else which is completely um. Uh, or goes, fits well with your political uh, story. You know, you trace back and you mention a lot of the history. You know, you think about the Republican Party and even the 70s. You know, you think about Nixon, who was for ERA. You think about Mm -hmm. Gerald Ford, right? Probably the last true moderate. I mean, Betty Ford was, you know, dancing on the White House table. I mean, it was amazing. No, no, no. I mean, they were really, you know, they slept in the same bed. It was so scandalous. You know, as a matter of fact, a lot of people think that helped throw the election of Carter in the South in 76 Mm -hmm. because, you know, they were pro-choice. They were actually pro-LGBT in those different things. The culture war, you know, Roe had just happened and even it was just not on the thing. Reagan comes in, you know, and sort of what William Sapphire said, jollies along the evangelical right, which sort of begins this, this this melding of the party, which you talk about kind of crests in 1992, uh, mm-hmm. at least for you, right, where you sort of feel like you go all in. And I think it's very interesting because one of the things I've always hated about the Democrats <laughs> and the left, you know, is, is everyone gets in their bubble and, you know, well, and even, listen, years ago, you know, and this is relevant here. Oh, you know, Bob Dole's the devil. Mitt Romney's the devil. John McCain, you know, that's they they literally, everybody's a racist. Everybody's a horrible person. If you're not a liberal, you're a creep, you know? And as I say to so many of my liberal friends who are still very liberal, you know, when the real devil came, you cried, it was, cause you would, you had, you had done this again and again. And I maintain, although sadly Trump will be the nominee if Nikki Haley or Christine, boy, I wish either of them would be the nominee. The media would turn them into just, yeah. I really believe, right wing, far right wing, um, malignant lunatics, even though they're not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So because mm-hmm. there is, you know, Trump has made us all kind of get into this weird uncomfortable place, but we share a tent now, maybe a foxhole, not so much you and me, because we're probably closer politically, but you know, all of a sudden now, if you're never Trump, every liberal likes you until you say, Hey, I actually think tax cuts are a good idea. Then you're, you know, but, but it's that kind of thing. And so it's interesting to think though, back to 1992, that was my first vote. I voted for Bill Clinton because I used to be a Bill Clinton Democrat, which I think is a very different Democrat than we have Totally, And, and obviously H.W. Bush lost, but Pat Buchanan that year gave a very fiery diatribe, you know, anti-gay, anti-born, just culture war. We're going to take this country back block by block. But you really were inspired by this sort of best of the Christian element, I think. You know, you're very dedicated to your faith in the best way. You know, mm-hmm. I'm Jewish and I am not religious, but since October 7th in Israel, I feel more Jewish than I ever have. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I went to a Presbyterian school, so I, I'm very close to the Judeo-Christian tradition, so I have great respect for it, even though I've not really been religious. But there is a case to be made, you know, for following your faith and believing there's a pure sense of it. Yeah. And believing that that was an important part of the Republican Party, that wasn't evil, that wasn't divisive, right? I mean, not from your standpoint. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, I do. It, yeah, it, it, to that era. Is that your wonderful son?
1: Yeah, yeah he's getting way. a little he's getting a little yelly. <laughs> That's like, this is pretty <laughs> off-standard in the kids in your household. it's so. fine, it's fine. We, we have
0: a thing here that I actually borrowed from Joe Walsh was if dogs bark. or. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, look, I, when it comes to the faith side of things, like, I And I still hold my faith very dear. And and the reason is like, look, I think my faith has been so perverted, by the way. Like Donald Trump has been turned into the new Jesus Christ. He is he's the new like moral stick everybody measures up against. And and, you know, my belief is like, look, you have to treat like the Jesus of the Bible. I grew up reading actually treated the poor very compassionately. He had compassion for immigrants. He actually, you know, wasn't obsessed with politics. This is, by the way. A fairly new journey of my life is recognizing that you can be a Christian in politics or you can be a religious person in politics, but you don't bring your religion to politics. I've always knew that. I've always known that part. Like I was, a you know, a man of faith in a secular position. So I have to act like that. But the, the, this has been so perverted and turned into Christian nationalism. And what I saw, I can look back at 1992 and see, I went to the Christian coalition meeting, which was basically you had a, in essence, a failure of the moral majority, which was Falwell's group. And then the Christian coalition was Pat Robertson's answer to that. And this was the first time that uh, George H.W. Bush came and actually spoke to the group. And it was the first time that you really saw mainstream Republican politics openly court evangelicals. Now, Look, even at the thing, he said, like, we don't want to go back to, like, the days of Ozzy and Harriet. So he he held true to what he really believed, but that was an open signal to the Christian right that we need you. You're part of this movement, and that's fine until the Christian right made a decision to take over the party, and that's what's happened over the last, frankly, 15 years, and I can look back and see the different iterations of that, but now we're in a moment where, like, my goodness, the GOP doesn't represent – the GOP that you and I remember, it doesn't represent the party of fiscal discipline. It's the party of let's make somehow Christianity the national religion, but it's not a true Christianity. It's just like some culture. It's like some trope of culture war. That's really what it's come down to.
0: And let's and the GOP, which is like, you know, they were the at least something of the salvation of Hey, you know, we're limited government people. We'll keep the government out of your lives, you know, which, which if you run a business, you really appreciate and Hey, get out of my personal life, you know, but this, again, the, the, the entrance of, you know, what you might call Christian nationalism and the melding of that with kind of tea party rage and all that now cresting, I think with really just Trumpism, which, Mm -hmm. you know, Ron DeSantis is trying to do the tribute Version of or whatever this is of like oh well now I'm mad at Disney so we're going to weaponize the state against the private marketplace. When when, look the the being in bed with Russia, the hating of the FBI, the defaming of the Justice Department, all these Republican conservative shibboleths, these rights of passage to see happen five, six years, seven years ago, and now to hear Republican governors saying, "Well, you know what? We're going to pass any bill we can." to oppose woke or to to oppose things we disagree with using the power of government. I mean, then you then again, you know, you have absolutely no governing philosophy.
1: No, and this is a, this is a real problem because well, so well, first off, when I
0: know you don't support that, but I don't either, but why is the government in my love life? What's it have to do with anything?
1: I that's mean, exactly right. That's exactly I, right.
0: I don't want to be in your love life. So get out yeah. of your love life. You yeah, it's it just it just That's what the Republican Party should be because the Democrats do. Look, I live in California where all they do is pass laws in Sacramento. Adam, I'll tell you, there's a thing. Oh my God, the lamp's broke. We got to pass an anti broken lamp law. I mean, (laughs) you have never seen so bananas. Oh, it's horrible. I mean, you have to have a gender neutral toy, uh, toy store. First of all, I'm gay. I'm obviously not trans, but a gender-neutral toy. A boy can't go buy a Barbie without the government telling him to? What the hell you know, this is what That's all they do is pass laws. I'm not even picking on that issue. It could be anything. My friend in the restaurant business, there's all these parking ordinances you have to go through just to have parking in front of your... It is, for a small business, it's death, you know? Yeah, But, it is. but if the government's going to, like, kind of deregulate, but then say to your trans kid, you know, you can't be who you are yeah that 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 doesn't work
1: well the, it's so right and and you know and that's the that's where i would encourage anybody <clears throat> you know whether you're on the right or left to think yeah. about this which is <clears throat> excuse me which is look what is your philosophy what is it that you actually believe and apply that consistently because that's what a party and that's what principles are around I'll here's an example sure you know and yeah. i actually now would consider myself closer to the Democrats on foreign policy than the Republicans, which is I a change
0: Well, they're Reagan-esque in a way. Right? Yeah, exactly. They're more right. Reagan-esque.
1: Right. But what was it, four years ago or three years ago, the Democrats went crazy over uh Trump killing Soleimani. Like I know they said, Oh, you're gonna you remember that? And I'm, I'm like, Sure, what yes. is this about? What like, no, this was a great thing. This is an American moment. It's it's akin to killing Osama bin Laden. And I, rem- I say that not to like what about, not to what, not not to try to compare both sides, but to say to be a party that attracts a majority of Americans. Um, Americans, be consistent in your philosophy, and don't make what you stand for an opposition to the other side. That's what the Republicans are now. They're basically anything the Democrats support, they oppose; anything Democrats oppose, they support. That's what the GOP is, and that's why, even though it's quite possible they could win this November. That's why long term they will be a failing party for the Democrats the temptation will be to do that same thing but I'm just saying to my democratic friends don't do that be a party based on principle and you'll notice that you can draw people like Adam and I like the Adams you know to your party if you're if you're consistent because we can disagree on certain issues but consistency is respected
0: I know and, and but as as it's and I'm certainly far from the first person to say this you know, it's, uh, what did Liz Cheney say, uh, a lot during January 6th, you know, I think mean, Jamie Raskin or somebody said to her, she would tell the story of, I can't wait to get back to disagreeing with you and everything else, you know, because <laughs> we have to be all in this foxhole. Now I'm not as conservative as Liz Cheney. So I, but no. I really like her obviously, but I, I really appreciate what you and Liz did on the January 6th committee. We're actually taping this on January 5th, tomorrow's January 6th, which I want to talk about. Cause obviously you sat on that committee, um, you know, I really thought, again, I mean, everything in the Trump era defies expectations and shatters any illusions you might have about um, about decency, right? And really makes you really understand gaslighting. I really mm-hmm. thought we all watched that with our eyes. We all saw it. We know the cops that were killed. We heard the testimony. And we still have, what, 30 40% of that party or, or people that, and I don't know the exact number, that either don't think it happened or downplay it but then you've got a lot of people who are apathetic somewhere in the middle and on the left That yeah they they hated it but you know they're mad at something else and so that doesn't I mean this was such a dark day and we are one three-year anniversary tomorrow um i know it was a calling for you to yeah. sort of end up and sit on that committee um and uh, you know th- almost three years in what's your january 6th feeling
1: yeah I mean, look, I didn't want to serve on the committee because I knew that you know I knew it would be the end of my political career, which is fine. I had served 12 years. It's not like I was, you know, just you also down. really
0: don't fit in the party anymore in any yeah. way. It's hard yeah. to be an outlier. But yeah, anyway,
1: it certainly is. And so but, you know, my assumption, I think it was everybody's assumption, which is if you present people with facts, they're going to come to the right conclusion. What I've come to realize is is if we truly see the Republican Party as a cult, and I, and I think that's a pretty good analogy, to be honest with you, because you know what do cults do? If somebody goes outside of the cult, whether it's Liz or I, or you know Mitt Romney, whatever, what do you do? You get demonized, you get ostracized, you get put aside. Because that has to be a warning to other cult members, don't challenge the current orthodoxy or this will happen to you. And Adam, the thing that I have come to realize is that people fear more than they fear death, Mm. is being kicked out of their tribe, right? By nature, we are tribal people. That's how how evolutionarily we learn to survive. You have to rely on the people around you to survive. Evolutionarily, if you were kicked out of the tribe, you would be dead probably within a couple of days. And so we're hardwired to have to belong. We're hardwired to have to be in the group. We're hardwired to have to belong to the tribe. And so on January 6th, I think if you put – 80% of the people of the 30 to 40% that still quote unquote believe January 6th was an inside job or whatever on CIA truth serum, they would tell you they know exactly what it was. The problem is it has become a a tattoo of tribal affiliation. And so if it just takes a little lie to say yeah, I believe it was an inside job, or I believe Ray Epps did it, or I believe they are heroes, or I believe the January 6th are political prisoners. Even if you don't believe it, you don't care anymore because what matters is you're fighting for the tribe. It's psychological operations. I believe if we quantum leap like 10 years forward, which is a great show, by the way, but if we do that and we look back and we say, okay, what do you believe about January 6th? Like in 10 years, nobody's going to believe any of the garbage about the lies. They're going to believe the truth. But right now, that tribal tattoo is it was an inside job or whatever. So let's not get discouraged about that. Let's understand that that's what's driving this and know that the number one goal, the only way to overcome this is not with more facts, though we need to keep getting facts out there. I don't mean to denigrate that. It's with defeating the insurrectionists in November. And that means people like Adam Epstein and I, have to vote, have to belong to a party that maybe we don't always belong to because we have to defeat the insurrectionists. absolutely listen
0: i i have a, a well two things i have a uh, um a lot of admiration for joe biden you know, I mean, as a, someone who came my my grandfather was a delegate to Adlai Stevenson in 56. Wow. He ran Hubert Humphrey's Florida campaign. He was a prominent judge in Florida. I worked for Bob Graham in the Senate. So, you know, I, I have, I didn't know, I don't know Joe Biden, but I mean, I have a certain amount of respect for what he represents. I'm with you. I, I applaud you for voting for infrastructure, for the CHIPS Act. These were good things, you know, of course. The Republican Party helped write the Chips Act and then opposed it because, <laughs> <It's so laughs> because it was because we own the libs on everything, even though of it is being liberal. It's yeah. just called reinventing manufacturing with the most yeah. important thing we can do. Um, but obviously, he is too old, mm-hmm. and and this is these are the challenges I think I wrestle with. So I am asking mm-hmm. you, you know, and the anti semitism of the left has always been there. It's always been a problem. Even though as a Democrat, I've never been a left wing person. It is not new. It's it's come out, and you know the way that you. have been... I'm referring to your tribal uh, analysis. Mm-hmm. So many Democrats are having a hard time. Not be Joe Biden's been great, but to see how much of the base of their party they didn't realize does not believe that Israel should either exist or should they should be get money or in all variations and how anti semitism is okay because it's viewed as whiteness. This is a burbling up of what could be the future. Again, the squad isn't the party now, but they haven't really been condemned. I'm going to leave that censored, but they all should be condemned. Okay. I left the democratic party over that because no. this, you can't, the, 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 the Democrats can't run a campaign calling every Republican, a bigot and a Nazi when their house is this dirty. And this is a tribal problem, but all of this, I'm saying all of this to say that we still, I still am so uncomfortable by it. I can't vote for Donald Trump I can't empower the Republicans for all the reasons that you know not only that you've outlined but that you've had to experience and fight against and you know and by all nature you really are a traditional conservative you're a moderate mm-hmm. but you have a lot of you're a conservative in the old sense and we need a center-right conservative alternative to the Democrats we need a healthy democratic party they're imperfect but they're not trying to overthrow the government but now we have that in an authoritarian cult we need a center-right conservative party, a center-left democratic party. I think one both parties should reject the extremes. And I think that's the challenge for us as a democracy, not just beating Trumpism, but trying to reclaim a partisan discourse that is not, as you say, um, entirely tribal, but also uh, not everyone you disagree with is your enemy. That's right. You
1: know, yes. and I say
0: that back to the beginning. I'm gonna I promise I'll let you answer, but like if I had met you in the two thousand and one, you weren't my enemy just because you might have been a very devout Christian from the Midwest who was more conservative than you know, you're not my enemy. Right. You're right. automatically a racist. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's like that's just I'm not that person. So we have to get rid of that thinking too, because that is poisoning the well. And everything just becomes a push and pull, right? One group goes, the other group reacts. It's all this chain reaction stuff anyway.
1: Well, and quite honestly, I've found it. I, first off, I think picking your friends based on a political viewpoint is the dumbest thing to pick a friend based on. Like, look, I like partying with people, and I don't care what your political viewpoint yeah. is. If you're fun to party with, I'll go party with you, exactly. right? <laughs> I mean,
0: also, whatever happened to organic connection? I mean, what exactly. do you do? mean? You're like, hey, before we get started, you're really cool. What's your political affiliation? Who does that?
1: It's stupid. But, you know, look. I think what we need to do is let's let's delete in our mind the idea of a party infrastructure. Okay, there is no Democratic Party, there's no Republican Party. It really is, and particularly with all the new Citizens United and all those kinds of you know problematic rulings, they, the political parties have no power. They're simply a structure to operate within. So think of this as just kind of mobs of people. There's mobs of people on the right, mobs of people on the left, and you know they they all kind of pull in a general direction. The problem with the left right now maybe the majority of folks on the left are pro-israel there is a very vocal of not just anti-israel minority on the left but pro-hamas i've seen it and people will tell me it doesn't exist well i've seen it so whatever right just like on the right you have nazi sympathy okay truly open nazi sympathy so how about this you lead your people and understand that mobs of people move and shift and change We no longer have to build a coalition of the left that includes pro-Hamas people. We can pull people from the center right to come into the left that are now being disaffected by the folks on the far right. So the key, the message I would give, frankly, to any sane Republicans left, but especially to the Democrats right now, is figure out what it is you believe in. Stand on that. And if, frankly, the Hamas left wants to not go vote, or they want to vote for uh, Donald Trump, okay, fine, let them. Because by you not having to cow to them, you're going to pull more moderates into your party, and you're going to shift your party to a coalition that you agree with more. And so this is a huge problem. And, and I say this again, I, I tell you, on my book tour, the number of people that would get upset at me if I said something like that, You know, I mean, everybody was generally nice, but they'd be like, oh, no, oh, no. It's like, okay, listen, either don't listen to me, the guy that's been through this and understands what makes people frankly on the right and centered right tick. Um, and just assume that what I'm saying is attacking you or actually understand that I want the Democrats to win this year and I'm trying to help you get there. And so that's like, I've seen, you know, all of your stuff where you're like, look, I'm trying to help. And it's like both sides get into this bubble of any attack is, is, uh, unacceptable and by the way that's exactly how Hillary Clinton lost in 2016.
0: absolutely absolutely and by the way the thing I always say and feel free to use it I mean not that it's it's a quote per se but it's like just because there's an asymmetry that the right um in their manifestations of christian nationalism insurrection support being traitors loving russia just because all those things threaten democracy doesn't mean that there aren't illiberal forces on the left which given enough sunlight will grow and prosper and 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 and, um if they're not disinfected, you know what I mean? So again, well, you listen, saw that it, 30 years ago, the Republican party was not controlled by lunatics. And it, one day, if, if a youthful, you know, again, maybe this won't happen because ex Vietnam protesters and hippies didn't necessarily take over the democratic party, but this might be a different generation, you know, a different way of looking at things and this whole anti-colonial um, DEI stuff that I think is very, very real. Yes. has to be addressed. I have an essay coming out today about it that you know left wing diversity has betrayed the Jews.
1: Mm-hmm. Not okay.
0: It's mm-hmm. not ok. You can't say you are liberal in any sense, classical or otherwise. If you make accommodations for hatred, even though That's you're right. not on the right, that doesn't mean, oh, I have immunity. no, you don't have immunity that yeah. that these right because this is all this all is discursive to use a fancy word, all filters through the discourse into one form or another. and you know, it's not like there's a door blocking it. What's on the left can move to the right, and and vice versa. It's that horseshoe then that diagram thing they always talk about. You know? Yeah,
1: and look, I, in 2015, I got into arguments on the Foreign Affairs Committee with one, uh, yeah, the former California Congressman Dana Rohrabacher, who was pro-Russian. I remember. Him, yeah. and, and people would tell me, Adam, don't engage Dana. He's the only pro-Russian guy. He's probably on the KGB's payroll. We said that, meaning it, and you know, but look now, five six-year Seven years later, a significant amount of the Republican Party is expressing those same values. Like, understand that when you see warning signs, you as a movement have to fight against those warning signs because if you don't kill them in the cradle, pardon the term, like, they're they're going to grow into an adult. You're going to have to fight an adult. That's much harder to do.
0: Yeah. A couple more things before we head out because I, mm-hmm. I just want to touch on things. So, um, obviously, you were deployed to um, mm-hmm. Afghanistan and Iraq, which is amazing. You obviously, for those that don't know, uh, Adam served from 2011 to 2023, two different districts, right? The 11th and the 16th, Mm -hmm. Um, largely moderate districts, right? Which kind of gave you a a good perspective, I think, to what was going on. Um, Do you, and you write about in the book, do you think that um, that when you talk about the Tea Party and what you were seeing going on around you and the sort of racial attacks in Obama and the sort of extremism of Sarah Palin, this is what? five, six years before Trump. Do you think you were having an awakening then and be, and were a bit in denial? Or do you think yeah. that you were like, well, you know, this is an extreme faction and it will, this too shall pass.
1: I think I, I didn't quite have an awakening in the campaign I would say, but literally immediately after winning it. Because right after winning the campaign, we were in this transition period before we were sworn in where you go to DC and you know you go through all the orientation and stuff. And I remember, like, getting the the Tea Party doxed all of the freshman congressmen, so that people could call and tell us to go to you know this certain orientation they were throwing. And within a couple of months after being uh, sworn in, you know, I voted. We had some budget bill with like 500 amendments, and I voted against stupid amendments. There'd be ones like cut five thousand dollars from the White House lighting bill, right? And I would <laughs> vote no. And deficit reduction. You guys are really (laughs) bringing
0: it down. Yeah, exactly.
1: And so that turned into Adam Kinzinger is the least likely Republican to cut spending, which turned into a war in early 2011 between me and the Tea Party. So very quickly, I realized that this was not a serious governing movement and that there were real problems here. And uh, I think looking back now, it's more crystal clear than it probably was when you're in the forest looking at the trees. Right, 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 right.
0: And, you know, you have now stepped away from politics, at least for the moment. Uh, you're on CNN, which is great. You know, again, the book is so good um, just because I think it gives people an insight into you. It's not just a, you know, a, an intellectual defense of democracy. We really learn who Adam Kinzinger is. You know, and I it, it, being politically homeless is hard because I'm mm-hmm. a home. <laughs> I understand. Mm-hmm. I'm not running for elective office, but you have been. I mean, you would be in like a, I would think in a blue state probably like Illinois, a great Republican governor or no, I really mean that because what we have to do is to save the party. We need people to be in it. Right. That's, yeah, you know, that's what I was saying about Christy and Haley is that if in any event, they were there, not only would I vote for them, if you really believe you need to have two parties, then that would be a way for, whether you like everything about them, it's, it's irrelevant, but I'm saying you, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're clear all the way. Everybody knows where you stand. Mm-hmm. You, you're a profile and courage. Will you go back into politics? I doubt you'd go back into the house, but you you would have a future if the party in that blue state, the Republican Party, would nominate you. I think you would win statewide. Um California probably not, because anything with an R they <laughs> they would rather they'd rather pay ninety percent of all their income in taxes than <laughs> Republican and not deal with homelessness. Okay, but anyway. But I think there are purple states, yeah, that, you know, that you could have a, a great future in and um I would hope you'd run because I, I I I think we that's the thing as a Republican. I can't I know I'm, I'm being bossy, but nah. I think you should we need it. We need it because you run as a Democrat, yes, but it's okay. So again, we well, here we are with this lopsided seesaw,
1: you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm certainly open to it. You know, my energies come back from where it was at the beginning of the last year, you know, and yeah. just gotten beleaguered on the committee and everything. I'd certainly be open to it. And, you know, the problem is the GOP in general has got to start thinking strategically. Democrats actually do this really well. Well, yeah. where They have extreme candidates that can't win, right. and they usually defeat them in primaries. The Republicans yes. don't do that, right? Like, if the Republicans were smart, they'd put Nikki Haley or Chris Christie as the candidate because there's no way they could lose the presidency right. then. No. Um, so I, I certainly would say like, I, I, I am keeping open, getting back involved in politics again. It probably won't be in the next year or two. We'll see where the party goes, but, uh, the itch is coming back a little bit. So we'll see what happens. And, and I also recognize that, you know, this isn't something I can sit out for the next 10 years and then intend to come back into politics. It's basically kind of in the next few years or, you know, go on with something in life and we'll see where that goes.
0: Um, okay. And finally... What do you think um, you're going to do in, in this year in terms of supporting democracy? I mean you you're formally going to endorse Joe Biden and campaign for Democrats?
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll see how this primary goes. I think there's it would take a massive Black Swan event for it to be anything but Donald Trump um, So my intention if it's Trump against Biden would be to not just support Biden but to campaign for him because I think so much is on the line here and Look, there's quite a bit I disagree with Joe Biden on, but all that stuff we argued for the last hundred years and we'll argue for the next hundred years as long as our democracy can survive. So that would be my intention. And I think just as importantly to ensure that the Republicans don't maintain control of the House of Representatives, because look, I mean, and, and it kills me because there's a lot of policies I like. But again, this country can afford, you know, what I consider some bad policies, although I don't think Joe Biden's been that bad. Um, but what we can't afford is another Donald Trump term because I don't see how we come back from that. And I'm never, I'm not a naysayer or a doomsdayer, but I do look at another Donald Trump term and say, I'm not sure we can survive that. And I mean it. And that's a scary thought. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Well,
0: listen, that's why you started Country First, which we should note. Um, What's the website for that? Tell everybody. Yeah, that's uh,
1: Country, the number one ST. So country1st.com. And uh, we're actually going to be playing pretty hard. in. Against a lot of crazy Republicans and even some crazy Democrats we're just trying to drag people back to the middle and give the middle a voice again
0: yeah and and thanks for doing that and we you we bet. you know uh, I think it's it's depressing to hear what you say uh, at the end here about mm-hmm. about you know is this the end of the American experiment I think everybody questions that and I think it's not hyperbole anymore it's a real um, a real concern. So I, sh- I am in the trenches with you. I'm, Good. you know, deeply uncomfortable with my choices. I think <laughs> Trump versus Biden are terrible choices in a country yeah. with twenty million people. I know people say, well, <laughs> perfect's not on the menu. I said, I know, but the menu also doesn't have to have two things. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, you go to a restaurant, there's not two choices. It's like, like old treatment. beef,
1: crappy chicken. Which, well, right, which do you want? Right.
0: It's like, what would you like steak or chicken? <laughs> you know, right. Exactly. Um, so or that line in airplane, oh, that's right, add the lasagna, you know, that's <laughs> yep. you know, that line. But I, um, but I do know the importance of the fight, you know, and I really think you've been a, a leader in it. And I think, uh, the country owes you a real debt of gratitude, not just for Thank your you, service man. to the country, but for all that you've done and the way you've spoken out. You are country over party, and that's what we should all be always, yeah, yeah, even in less perilous times, folks. This Adam Kinzinger it has been an honor to talk to you to have you here and I'd love to have you back later in the yeah. season. Yeah, and for we'll, sure. We'll, we'll see where we are. And uh, you know um, hopefully we're um, um, our, our plane, our aircraft is at a comfortable cruising altitude. I don't know. There's a lot of turbulence ahead. I know you're a pilot. So <laughs> That's right. That's uh, right.
1: but hopefully we don't lose all our engines. Um, amen. Thanks brother.
0: Amen. All right. Great to see you, Adam. Folks, this has been another episode of Dirty Moderate. Stay, uh, Stay safe, stay dirty, and of course, stay moderate.